our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we're reading the whole chapter, a chapter of 15 verses. So it's 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have in hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. David said, There's none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, (coughs) king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks in the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Amen. May God bless us that reading from his word. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, as we've turned now to your word and we wait now to hear what you have to say to us from it, we pray that you'll give us understanding, we pray that you'll give us acceptance, and and we pray that you'll give us a willingness to respond to what you have to say to us this morning. So be with us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
I was asked what the title of my talk was going to be today. And it's one word, and it's quite simple. Security. How much do we long for security these days? I've already been praying about the situation in our country. And I'm quite sure you get a bit unsettled and you get a bit worried and a bit upset about what's going on. And you're thinking of the future and where is it going to lead and where is it all going to end? And what sort of country, what sort of nation are we going to have? Whatever the result and the way things go. And there's just that feeling of uncertainty, that feeling of insecurity. And we reach out for anything that might give us stability and security. And of course, it's not just on a national scale. But this comes down to a very personal thing as well. That in our lives, we're looking for security. I suppose it's true to say that the two can be linked because when I look around, I think a number of us are on pensions. And pensions are dependent on things like stock exchange and so on. And you begin to worry that if things take a real downturn, then so will our pensions. The value of them. And, and so on that personal level, we get worried. Other areas in our lives, we can get worried on a health front, we can get worried on a job front, we can get worried on a family front. All sorts of uncertainties crop up and disturb us, and unsettle us. And the question then is, <clears throat> what brings us security? Where can we find security? Did you read the other day about the 148 million poison jackpot? The couple that won it. And now, a few years later, all they've got is broken marriages, failed businesses and families torn apart so that windfall with all the dreams it might have brought has collapsed about them and there's no security there in 1923 nine of the richest men in America met in a big hotel in Chicago their wealth and influence made them amongst the most powerful men in America they were the president of the New York Stock Exchange the most influential financier on Wall Street, the head of one of the world's biggest companies, the presidents of America's steel corporation, electricity company and gas company, a powerful wheat baron, the president of an international bank and the equivalent of our home secretary. And such men would have been the envy of America at that time. But you know something, 25 years later, the picture was dramatically changed. One of them was insane. Two had recently been released from prison. Three others were bankrupt. And the, the remaining three had all committed suicide. Where was the security? Had it lain in money? Fame? Status? Power? Whatever? 
Well, we're going to talk today about a man who actually had all these things. He had wealth. He had status. He had power. He had fame. But he had something else. And it's that something else that we're going to talk about. And of course I'm referring to David. When we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 21, David's on the run. King Saul's out to get him, to kill him, to get rid of him, because he's become a threat to him, and he's totally jealous of him. And this is no passing phase. This is something that won't soon pass and be forgotten. It's become a national issue. And Saul's paranoia has reached a new level. And it's public knowledge. And it's official public policy that David was to be hunted down and killed. So, where did David's real security lie in all this? And we're going to be introduced to the secret of David's security. And it's the fact that it lay in God. But you know, there's actually some comforting things about this story as we get into it. Because we discover that actually in this incident, or the two incidents that are here, David didn't cover himself in glory. He made mistakes. But the interesting thing was that A, we learn that he was a person just like you and me. Wasn't he any different from us? We can make just as many mistakes as David did and we discover he was just an ordinary person. But we discover that his security lay in God and while David was making mistakes, God had his eye and his hand on David. And he was taking him through the circumstances. And you know, the other lovely thing about this is that David writes down a lot of the things and a lot of the experiences and a lot of the emotions that he was passing through. And he writes them down in the Psalms. And we can learn what's going on in his mind as we read Psalms. And we'll discover that there are two further on here in a minute that are particularly relevant to this incident but we've actually sung one of the psalms that he wrote (laughs) and this is the way the message translation of the bible puts verses 4 and 5 of psalm 23 it says this even when the way goes through death valley i'm not afraid when you walk at my side your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. David is reflecting on the times when he knew he was up against them, when he knew that the chips were down, and he didn't know whether or not he would survive. But he was clear about this. God was with him. And whatever happened, God would protect him. And look, that's a wonderful lesson for today. 
God will protect us. God will look after us in the coming days. And whatever ways things go, God is sovereign. God is the one who reigns on high on his throne. And irrespective of what the different governments and so on do, they cannot flaunt in the face of God. So let's come to these incidents. David's on the run. He's in hiding. And he decides that the the safest place to go is a wee place north of Jerusalem, which is small and it's remote. It's the place called Nob. And it was famous for the fact that that's where the tabernacle was. The tabernacle was in Nob. And, and so David decides he would go there. Now Nob was a place that was inhabited by priests. Because the tabernacle was there. It wasn't a place where there were soldiers and warriors and so on. It was priests who were there. And the senior priest is a man called Ahimelech. And when we begin to read the story, we discover this, that Ahimelech is disturbed by what's happening. Here's David, appeared unannounced on his doorstep, and he doesn't know why he's there, and he's getting no explanations, and he begins to ask sort of the normal sort of questions that a person in this circumstance would ask. Why are you here? What's it all about? And the more he thinks and the more he uh, uh, tries to rationalise things, the more afraid he becomes. Because he's heard rumours of what's going on with Saul. And he knows what kind of person Saul's like. And he's hysterical rages. And here's the very person whom Saul is out to get has arrived on his doorstep. So Ahimelech wants to to know what's going on. And then here comes the first tricky bit. And this is where David, doesn't he cover himself in glory? He makes up a story. And he says, well, actually, I'm here on a special mission for the king. Um, And it's a secret mission. Um, MI5 are not involved. And really, I've got to... I really want us just to keep it between ourselves, but I've I've got a special mission to carry out. And Ahimelech says, and where are are all your men? Uh, Well, they're not in on this. I'm meeting them later on. So if you just bear with me, there's actually just two things that I want. I want food. And I want a weapon. Because... One other thing he's discovered, just a few verses on, that Saul's chief shepherd is in Nob. And he's seen David. <coughs> and he, David knows exactly what's going to happen, what's going to get back. And he's got no weapons. He's travelling light, as it were. And so the heavenly says, well, I can get you food. But you'll need to be careful because this is actually special bread 
This is bread which has been consecrated and it's meant to be kept in the tabernacle. But I suppose this is an emergency and being the case, but you'll also need to guarantee that when it goes to your men, their, their lives are pure because this isn't just any bread. And so David says, that's fine, that's fine, we'll take it. And actually it's interesting, this is a wee digression, but it's interesting that Jesus actually picks up that story in the Gospels. And the three Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark and Luke, all record Jesus referring to this instant. Because this, the disciples were walking through a field one day, it was a Sabbath day, they were starving and they began to pull the ears of corn and eat it. And the Pharisees jumped on them and said, you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus sort of said, well, there is precedent. And he referred to what Ahimelech had done with David and virtually told the Pharisees to get real. Emergency situations demand emergency measures. So David's now got the bread, and that's going to go to his men. But he says, now look, I need a weapon. And Ahimelech says, we don't have weapons here. We're all priests here. But in the tabernacle, there is a sword. And actually, David, you'll know about this sword because it's the sword that you took from Goliath and killed him. And David said, that's a great sword. We'll take that one. That'll do fine. So, David's got himself into a pickle, but his protecting God has got him out of it. But David's on the run again, because the shepherd boy's there. He wasn't a shepherd boy, he was the shepherd man. And David said, I'll need to get out of here. And so he takes the sword, and he takes the bread, and he goes off to Gath. Now, just think about that for a minute. If you know anything of history, Bible history, that day, Gath was the home of the Philistines. That's where the enemies of the Israelites lived. Gath. And David, you're going to walk into Gath, where Goliath was and where you killed him, and you're going to go in with his sword. What are you thinking about, man? But David does that. And he... Word gets to the king, King Achish. Achish. And I think that the, the, other, the, the people of Gath that saw this happening, I think they got quite excited because they began to shout and to sing, here's David coming. Here's David, the king. Imagine, David, the king. Is coming. And you know what they say, folks? Saul's killed his many, but David's killed his tens of thousands. This is the man. But David's concerned because he's got in there and he's now taken to the king. Hmm. How's he going to get out of this? And he decides to play the madman. 
He fakes a nervous breakdown. And he does all the things that would portray a medical breakdown. And Aki says, get rid of this man. We don't want this madman here. We've got enough madmen around. Get rid of him. And so David is taken out of the situation again by God. That's, that's the story. That, that's the narrative of what's going on here. But look, we need to go a wee bit behind it now. And this is where we come to some of the Psalms. And particularly Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. Now, when you've got a minute, look at these two Psalms. Because every Psalm's got an inscription on it. It's got a heading. And that inscription is as much part of the inspired scripture as the psalm itself. And on these psalms, I'll just read to you the one from Psalm 34. It says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Now, don't be confused by Abimelech. Abimelech is one of these names for the, the kings, like Pharaoh. Now, there wasn't just one pharaoh. There was a whole, a whole list of pharaohs. This was the generic name. So Akash was Abimelech. That was his other name. So anyway, so that, that psalm refers to that. And Psalm 56 has got virtually the same. When the Philistines had seized them in Gath. Now, why am I referring to these psalms? Because we're going to find out more of what's going on in David's mind and the background to this. And to make it simple, we've got three words, all beginning with the letter F. There's fear, there's faith, and there's faithfulness. Fear, faith, and faithfulness. And so when you begin to read down these Psalms, you discover that actually... David is full of fear. Naturally, I mean, it doesn't take an awful lot of common sense to know that because he's fleeing from Saul, who's trying to kill him. So he's bound to be afraid. But here in the psalm, he opens up about it. And he's honest about it. And he says, I sought the Lord, and he, del- he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's at verse uh, 4 of Psalm 34. So there we are, and we'll get a similar thing in Psalm 56, that David acknowledges the fear that he's got. Now I want to pause there for a minute. Fear is a funny thing. Not literally, but it's a strange thing. Because fear makes you do things that you might not otherwise have done. I was thinking about this now. <laughs> I thought I'd way back to my school days. I can still remember them. And you remember when the teacher said, who did that? Who spoke out of turn? We had quite a strict regime in my day. It's not like today. But anyway, who did that? Now the immediate thing was to say, it wasn't me. That was your reaction. And sometimes that was a lie and sometimes it was true. But you see how fear made you do something 
that you might not necessarily have done. It makes you react in ways that you wouldn't normally react. It makes you do things to get out of a scrape. I thought about that MP that just recently that um, was, was um, convicted of a motoring offence. And she said it wasn't me. And she got somebody else to try and take the blame. Now, what was all that about? Was that her fear of her job, fear of being found? I don't know. And did she react in a wrong way? Because for a few minutes, fear got a grip of her. And once she got into the mess, she couldn't get out of it. That's the way fear makes you react. And not by terms, <laughs> not getting caught up in court cases. Don't mean that. But it makes you <coughs> react in the wrong ways. And this is what is actually happening with, with David. Because when he got to Nob, he told a story that was not true. He wasn't on a special mission at all, other than to get away from Saul. But he wasn't on a special mission for Saul. And he spun this yarn. And then when he was before King I, he played the madman. Now, we don't want to be too critical of David because we don't know how we would have reacted like that. And we don't know how we react in circumstances where fear's got a grip of us. But here's the point. God understood that. Now, he didn't condone it. I don't mean that. But God understood where David was coming from. And God never stopped protecting David, even although he had gone down a route that he shouldn't have gone down. God continued to protect him. And that's why in Psalm 34 he can say, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Even though I've made a mess of things, even though I've gone the wrong way, nevertheless, God protected me. I need to keep moving on here. Um, so, listen, there's times when we get caught up in situations like that and we do things that we, we know we shouldn't have done. But listen, if we're trusting God, then God will never let us go. He may have to... <laughs> Do things to get us out of situations that we got ourselves into. But because he's our God and because we trust him and because we've committed our lives to him, then he will protect us and bring us through and we can find our security in him. Now what was the next word? The next word was faith. And these psalms are I was going to say riddled, that's not the right word. But right through the Psalms, there's this continual confession of David that he trusted the Lord, he relied on God, and it goes on and on. You see, David wasn't dependent on his resources, his own resources. He wasn't dependent on the fact that he was a good swordsman. He wasn't dependent on the fact that he had killed wild animals and he was a strong lad. He wasn't dependent on the fact that he was good looking and attractive. No. Always what David has to say is, I trusted in the Lord. 
Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a, such a simple statement, but it's such a profound statement. And that was the epitaph that could be written on David's life. The Lord is my shepherd. Complete trust. Complete handing over of his life. Complete acknowledgement of who God was, that he was the sovereign, living, all-powerful God who had become his shepherd, his personal shepherd. That was where his faith lay. I think that's tremendous. And what an example to us. What an example to follow. That the Lord is my shepherd. And we can trust in him. God is never going to fail you. That's a fact. God is never going to let you down. We may let him down, but he will never let us down. Our faith can be secure and founded and rooted in the most strong foundation, the living God of heaven. So there was David's fear and what it did for him, and there was his faith and the faith that took him on. And that's where it then brings us on to the the faithfulness, the third F. Because you see, faith and trust is two-sided. David had his faith, but God had his faithfulness towards David. And David testified time and time again, not just to his faith and trust in God, but to God's faithfulness and security for him. And that's what made it so real for David. Because here was a God on whom he could totally rely, totally trust. And God's faithfulness. What is it we sing? Great is thy faithfulness. <coughs> Some of these words, you know, we can sing them quite glibly. And we can sing them out of rote. But listen, take time to think about them. Because God's faithfulness is absolutely secure. You know, Psalm 23 is David's autobiography. And it talks about where his commitment lies. And it talks about the he talks in a general way about the circumstances that he's passed through in life. But listen, have you ever read an autobiography that writes the ending? Before it's happened. Because that's what Psalm 23 verse 6 does. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Eh? I will dwell. No ifs, no maybes, no possibly. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Listen, can you say that, Sam, for yourself? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you think of the circumstances in life where you've put your trust in God and where you've known God's faithfulness? And can you say, like David, my hope is in the Lord 
I know that whatever happens, my home is secure in heaven. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My sister died just a few weeks ago. She'd suffered for years with Parkinson's. And we sat with her for the last week or two of her life. And she was a Christian. And she trusted in the Lord. But you know, there were times in these last few days when you could see her mind and her brows beginning to furrow. And you know, we just drew the Bible out. And we just read a psalm, different psalms to her at different times. And her face just relaxed. She knew where her hope was. And as we confirmed it from the scripture, she just relaxed. And when the time came, she just slipped away. You see, that's what it means to be trusting in God. And to know that although things can get difficult, and they will get difficult, nevertheless... Our God is a faithful God and he is sure in his promises. And I want to finish with another verse from Psalm 34. And it's already been quoted this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's David's, David's advice to all of us. Taste and see. Don't just listen to what other people are saying. Yes, follow their example, but listen. Make it personal. Make it yours. And you personally taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Our closing hymn is... It's just, it's got a title... I don't think it's got a number in the book, is it, Alec? No. It's Cornerstone. But see what it says. My home is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. <coughs> let's think carefully as we sing these words and let's make them personal to us because we've a step further than David. David knew God. But we know God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his death through his resurrection and through his ascension to heaven that we can personally know that trust and that faith. So let's join together in singing this lovely hymn.